Okay, here we go. So first of all, I want to thank you, Shulan Schubert Kwok. You are the first guest on my podcast. And for those who don't know me, my name is James Logue, and this is the Real Talk Experiment. So basically, the idea of this podcast is, like I was telling you earlier, um, I have a diverse group of friends and network that I think are really interesting people. They have a lot of really um, interesting things going on in their life. And I really want to give not only them, but others like a platform to kind of expose themselves and just to have fun. Yeah, talk, talk story, as they say here in Hawaii. Um, so what I would like to do for you, uh, Ms. Kwok, is I would like you to introduce yourself to the people. Um, give us where you're from, what you've done, the organizations you belong to, and then we'll dig in a little deeper from there. Okay. I am 70 years old. And I came from Singapore. I was the uh, first girl in the village to get a university education on a scholarship in a really man's world, mm -hmm. in a Chinese conservative society. And I gave thanks to my mom for always encouraging me to be myself and to excel against all obstacles. And I was uh, a good scholar and uh, a hard worker. I was brave and I was uh, determined. So failure was not in my book in those days. Uh, contrary to now, I can accept failures as part of the passageway, but in my younger days, if I failed, it would have dev devastated me. But I was able to succeed because I never gave up. Right. So I came to Hawaii from Australia. I got married there, and I was working at the universities there. And I was a researcher, and I was an uh, archivist. I did uh, historical and also medical uh, data research and compilation. And uh, we have saved a lot of lives in the desert in uh, <laughs> Australia. But uh, I wanted Hawaii because I like the climate better. And I also subscribe to the sense of aloha. And when I saw Hawaii 5.0, that was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Off I went, you know. And there was only one airline leaving Australia to Hawaii. And we had to go uh, San Francisco. And then we came into Hawaii, and it was very expensive, Qantas airline. <laughs> so we flew over here, and it was the the height of the recession in 1975. Wow. And uh, I had researched how much a, an underwear cost at Sears, because <laughs> <laughs> it was what? like I was a researcher. You know, I did everything, like okay. how much is a can of tuna fish, yeah. right? How much is rent? How could, how could we survive on our savings and how, what what we were gonna do? Because we did not know a soul in Hawaii. So we came and then we got an apartment that was furnished at the um, at on Amana Street, seven forty seven Amana. So we rented the studio, which had a pune, which was a Hawaiian uh, sofa where you can sleep on them as well. Nice. So we went to Holiday Mart, which is the current Don Quixote, <laughs> and got my first Chinese buns, the bao. Then I walked down the street, that was my first, my first Kentucky Fried Chicken. 
where the Walgreens is now. Oh, wow. So it's been 40 some years. So I went into a business, real estate, where I knew nobody, but I became the top seller in six months. Oh, wow. I was working from six to six every day. And I would go through the office files, learn everything. In those days, we have agreement of sale. We have a lot of leasehold properties. So I became the number one seller in my office. Of course, it didn't go well with some people. Right. <laughs> office politics. So I learned my trade. I did all kinds of uh, transactions in order to qualify for my broker's exam. You have to have 10 transactions of different types like you have to do rental, commercial, uh, land, leasing. You have to do condo sales, house sale. Uh, and you have to do 10 different transactions in order to qualify you to sit for the broker's exam. And that was my goal. And you did that in, in six months? In two years. Oh, okay. Because it took two years. You need, the qualification was you need a full-time two-year okay residency with a brokerage company and you also have to show that you have diversified experience so I did that in two years I opened my own company and I've been on my own for 43 years right and you also do a lot of the uh, community stuff oh yeah that's my passion so what I really what I really want to dig into is how you got involved in Chinatown and the things that you've done. You started the Chinatown Business and Community Association um, as a 501c3, yeah? No. It's 501c4. No. It's just a community nonprofit organization. Oh, I see. A I 501c3 see. allows us to solicit contributions and then the donor mm. can, can uh, deduct of their taxes. Right. But we didn't want to spend the money. It costs about $10,000 <laughs> to incorporate. Oh, wow. And so we used the money for like the Chinatown Dragon. Mm. We used the money for the police station, for the signage. We used the money for doing things that community needed. Right. Because my feeling is, if you want to donate, don't look for a tax write-off. Because we are small. You can't donate so much to us that it, it will make a difference. Right. So for us, we self-finance a lot of times because we are for the small people. We are not for big outfits where um, corporate donors mean a lot for the tax base. For us, we are just a grassroots people organization to help the um, mom and pops. We don't need a corporation for tax reduction just for those few uh, donors who may want to do that. Right. I donate a lot myself and I never look for it as a tax angle. <laughs> to me, when you donate, it's from your heart. So I never ask for a receipt when I donate because it's not the purpose of donating for good cause as a tax write-off. Unless you're a corporation and that's a part of your um, policy. And we never did get big corporate support for our little bitty organization that just serve the poor folks who have no voice and who look to us to have a sense of dignity and pride. Well, in and, you, and in you guys, the, the CBCA, or the Chinatown Business and Community Association, they did get the, 
the entrance, you know, there's that plaque. Yes. That's you guys, yeah. Yes, we put a plaque at the police station. We also put the signage in Chinese and English at the police substation because nobody could find the police station. <laughs> because the um, signage was so obscure and so hidden because of the awning and was dark. So when we put the Chinese characters in bright red and loud and visible from both sides, mm. people were cheering. They said at least they felt the police station was there to serve them, at least visually. And then um, not being able to find the police station and then being um, told that, oh yeah, you should be safe because you have a police substation there. But it wasn't <laughs> available to the people. Yeah. So it was like, all right, it's there, but it doesn't really serve us. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we did. We did that, and then we also put the the plaque there in order to foster uh, cooperation, friendship, and appreciation uh, for whatever the politicians try to do for Chinatown. If it's good, we appreciate it. If it's not good, we tell them. It's yeah. not doing us any good. What made you originally, though, get involved into... Because did you live in Chinatown? No, I have a business in Chinatown, a branch office. Oh, you have I a branch office. I have a corporate office, office in uh, the Alamona Pacific building. And I wanted to come into Chinatown as the first branch of my office in both mortgage company. I, ha I own ABC Mortgage, which oh, okay. was a very successful mortgage company. And then I also have Chulan... At that time, it was Schubert Properties, Chulan Properties, in order to serve the people who could not speak English and they could not get a loan. They could not get a loan to buy a house. They could not get a loan to do business because they didn't have the right tax returns. They didn't know how to do things the, the American way. Right. So they were left out. They couldn't buy a home. So when I came into to Chinatown, I helped many of these business owners uh, to buy homes and to get business loans because they were the um, disenfranchised. And these are people that work 16 hours a day uh, slaving away with small profits. And that's what keep Chinatown alive. That's what inspired me to help these people to keep Chinatown alive. If we don't have these people that are looking for small profits, who willing to slave from like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning until 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock in the evening, mm -hmm. we wouldn't have Chinatown because it's too difficult to maintain a business at such a narrow margin of profit. And then you're subject to all kinds of things that you don't understand. Right. <laughs> so there was a language barrier. There's a cultural barrier. There's also the disrespect. Yeah. Which really hurt me to see. I'm a highly educated woman, but most of these folks are not educated. They're not even literate. But they are the bones and flesh of what made Chinatown come alive. But we don't appreciate these people because we're off in our homes in Kahala. Yeah. So, you know, and you have you been to other Chinatowns around the U.S.? Oh, and that's my what passion. Is, what I is the comparison? To almost every Chinatown in the United States. Do the cities in, in the U.S. do they treat their Chinatown kind of the way that the, our politicians 
Yes. Very specifically, yes. our, our former racial, mayor. There's a racial us. bias. Yeah. There's also the, the thing that for Chinatown, Chinatown was always the backwoods, always a slum area, the area that nobody wanted to go. Right. Until the Chinese and other people like Italians or other poorer uh, immigrants build up the property. Now all of a sudden they see it as a golden egg, yep. real estate, skyscrapers, yep. Yep. and then they find all kinds of policies to drive these people out. And I've seen a Chinatown die. I've seen so many of these good places die because of city policies mm. to drive out because of the mighty dollar. Yeah, and it it was always fascinating to me to see how now Portland, you know, for instance, I was recently there. What we mean is a beautiful arched. Portland, you said? Yep. Oh, okay. We were in uh, Oregon. Uh, and then same thing in Washington, same thing in DC. Uh, there was no more Chinatown except the arch reminding people it once was a great city. It once was a great community. But what did these people do to the, the heritage? And they look at short-term interests and they create policies that kill the Chinatowns. Yeah, and it's interesting. So I met you um, <clears throat> in 2016. I had run for State House of Representatives um, for District 29 in Hawaii for those who are living outside of Hawaii. Um, I ran because the seat opened up. I was involved in the Democratic Party here. Um, and I had a future, my vision was to run for office eventually, uh, way later down the road. But the seat opened up, so I figured it was a time where I could uh, get my feet wet and check it out, figure out what do you need to do. It was a very ragtag campaign. Um, I, ordered, <laughs> I, my, I ordered my signs from like Vistaprint, and when they came in, th they looked like darker than the image. Uh, it was so, I was like, what? But, you know, I had to use them anyway, and I designed it myself. It looked really bad. It was terrible. But um, during the campaign, I was told, actually, not to interact with you. I had seen you at, there was a, an event at the Democratic Party headquarters. Um, I can't even remember what it was, but my acting campaign manager at the time, he said, oh, you see her? Stay away from her. Everyone in Chinatown hates her. So I said, okay, okay, I'll stay away. Because, again... I didn't really know the area. I was a newbie running for office, uh, you know. Um, but it wasn't actually until after the campaign when I reached out to you because something just didn't, it didn't rub me right that I was told stay away from this lady. But I had never heard of you, so I, I had never heard of anything bad about you. But I always knew that you were the one on TV. Anytime something was happening in Chinatown, they're asking Shulan Schubert Kwok. There's no one else. The, the chair of the neighborhood board was never asked. There's no one else. The representative wasn't even there the senator it was shulan so i remember i reached out to you and we met at uh, a vegetarian restaurant <laughs> right outside of chinatown and i think ever ever since then then you you kind of brought me in and you introduced me to the community uh, very in-depth more than i could have ever imagined and I, our first our first um i guess mission was the ball bouts yes you had brought me, we had met, and then you invited me to the CBCA. I think I'd come to a meeting and then became a member. I don't know if I still have the shirt, but 
and then the the petition for the ball bouts. Yes. So this is where I started really getting more insight into really how uh, Chinatown itself was really basically how I look at it, like shit on by the politicians. Yep. Like, and, and a lot of people say, stay away from her because they're from the bar district. And I had opposed uh, many of the uh, event organizers because they right. were not doing it right. They were self-serving and they did not treat the community right. I was the only lone voice against um, these relentless, loud, drunken parties in Chinatown utilizing our streets. That's why they said, stay away from her, she's bad news, she's bad, because I wasn't buying into their scams. Right. Yep. And, and it's very interesting, the dynamic in Chinatown, because you do want the bars to succeed. Yes. You want all the businesses to succeed. But for some reason, there is this, uh, I always try to say very neutral. I'm just a realist, uh, as I consider it, like a realist. Like, I don't join one tribe or the other. It's just like, is that good for the people? Yes, no. You see, you know? I've always supported them all the years. They had a lot of parties. I've never once voiced against them. Mm -hmm. For 15 years, they did what they wanted. Because I wanted Chinatown to revive and to prosper. And uh, if you were here in the 70s and 80s, you see that Chinatown was very city, mm. very, very run down, a lot of vacancies. They still have the nude, the nude girls yeah, sign. Yeah, they up. had on Hotel Street, <laughs> they had the new, new bars. They had, <laughs> and so when um, the owners was to revive, and I had never spoken up against any of them uh, about street parties until it got too loud, too frequent, and too lawless. And that's when I spoke up and I told them, I'm not against street parties. I'm for business, but I do not want irresponsible street parties. Right. And that where you have uh, not taken responsibility to also help your neighbors survive. Mm -hmm. You just have the party, sell a lot of liquor, take the money and run. And you leave the trash and you take away parking from these people who pay rent and they have no parking and you take away 332 bus routes when you have a party mm -hmm. and then also there are 5,500 people who live in Chinatown in 12 buildings 12 buildings and when you take down and put up your tents all these metal rods were thrown around yeah yeah and you can it hear was that. really bad <laughs> and it was like 2 3 a.m. in the morning and then trash there's a lot of pute urine feces and people are just peeing on with the windows <laughs> breaking glass now this uh, kind of behavior i don't think should be associated with with any good event right and so i think i was trying to tell them i would support you if you do it right if you're not doing right i'm not going to support you and that's and see for me because I'm 35. I've been in Hawaii since I was, oh my God, 20. I used to always go down to the first Friday events. I love the first. I still we love, love it. I the still first, love the first Friday. The first events. Friday event was the best event. The first Friday event never dealt with street alcohol. There was no street alcohol. It was strictly an art walk. Right. Yeah, and you would go into different places. And then music. Yeah, and each 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 place would have like wine. Yes, so you would go to different. Yeah, it was, was never awesome. a street sale of liquor. Yeah. in fact, the state law 
does not allow alcohol sale on the streets. So but the city under Hanuman circumvented it by calling it a non-construction street. Under Mufi Hanuman, yes. former mayor, before Caldwell. Yeah. 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 So it was called a uh, non-construction street closure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was like cheating the people of the right to a peaceful night by, by doing this to satisfy political donors. And to me, it's corruption. Yeah, and actually, like, and that's where the, the, the politics comes in, where me, as just a regular person, James Logue, I was in the military. I loved, I loved those oh, yeah. events. Everybody loves a party. And Chinatown was the R&R of the army in the Second World War. Yeah. And uh, we had a lot of bars, prostitutes, drugs, you <laughs> name it. Everything was the same city of right. the Pacific. But all of those businesses died. Okay. Well, and then um, the revival came with, and then a lot of bars opened up because of the street parties, because yep. of the street sale yeah. of liquor. But how can you promote a historic and cultural place and the oldest ch Chinatown in, in the United States with selling one item? Yeah, yeah. Alcohol. It's, and, and again, that goes back to, to where I was getting at. And the art, the art world had disappeared. There was no art. The old days when we had the beginning of uh, First Fridays, we have a lot of art galleries. Yeah. Today, I don't see one single art gallery. And then when these bar district people said, oh, we're painting art, I have not seen a single art that they painted. Yeah. I'm well, sorry, well, it's just an excuse. But see, and, and here's the thing, is like the the bar owners themselves, they want to be successful. They're throwing these events. It's, it's only supporting a small group of businesses but that's what I was trying to say is the, the the political side comes in where, yes, I go to those events. I spend money at those events. But, but let me tell you, but when you pay $15, $17 for a drink yeah. in a plastic cup, and then um, they leave trash for us to pick up, and they leave people drunk and puting on our sidewalks, that is not right. Right, no, and that's what I'm saying. But there's also the other side where when it comes to politics there's this diplomacy you said there's five five thousand something people that live here everyone knows that not everyone is going to file a complaint not everyone is going to do it they might be bothered but a lot of people are so disenfranchised with the government and how it operates that they just don't even interact they don't even care they have no trust in government yeah they have no trust and they do look to people like yourself so fact, when you complain or like the other gentleman from the other building, we all know, Mr. Steve Lowe's, when he complains, it's not just Steve, it's not just Shulan, or it's not just James. There's a whole group of people that trust yeah. you and your voice to carry their because concerns. Because we, we are not people who, who get political donations. Right. We're not the people that have to pay back. I'm just an ordinary taxpayer who volunteer her time and her voice because... I hear all this from the people, and they're afraid to speak up because they're afraid of reprisal. They're afraid of all kinds of things, mm -hmm. their jobs. Yeah. They're afraid of being beaten out. They're afraid of a lot of things because that's how corruption works. Yeah, and especially fear, es fear. especially here in Hawaii, yeah. especially. like yeah. the, the corruption of the government is, is so deep. And yeah. My credibility is my honesty. Yeah. And my credibility is that I speak honestly about... If the government or the mayor does something right, I appraise, I praise him. Right. If he does something wrong, I'm going to say that's not right. Mm -hmm. Because he, I don't owe him a living. 
I don't <laughs> owe yeah. him any favors. Yeah. And I, I'm just a citizen who is respected by the community for being honest. No, and that's and that's how it should be. And I'm sure it's not just here in Hawaii. I'm sure it's every city. People see corruption. They know it's being corrupt. They gave up. They stopped caring. Um, you know, because they don't. People don't feel like the government's looking out for them. For me, because I, I live here in Honolulu, you know, and I'm involved in local politics. And for the longest time, I was always told. So I ran for office. For those who don't know, I ran for state house of representatives. I ran uh, three times total. Um, and each campaign, I was always told, you know, just keep your mouth shut. Don't, don't, don't point out the negative things about the. Uh, you know, just, just, just kind of do you. But in reality. You really can't because you have to separate yourself from your opponent, right? Like you have to show, you know, wh why am I running? If, I, if it's taboo for me to speak out against my opponent's failures, you know, how can people decide to vote for me, you know? It's hard to win when you don't belong to the old boys network yeah, or the, the unions and you don't have uh, a political machine behind you. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to win, but I ran for office once for city council. Yeah, city council. And I got no support from the union. Of course. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Carol Fukunaga ran. She got support from the union. I spent my own money mm -hmm. in my uh, campaign because I didn't want to owe anybody any favors. Right. I came in six out of the right. field of 15. <laughs> Or oh, 16, I think 16. Yeah. And uh, I was a first-time runner, and I never regretted running and emptying my savings account to run because I was hoping to make good changes. Yeah. But uh, I didn't have the votes because I couldn't buy the votes. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't run as many ads as my opponent could. And uh, as you know, each card you send out costs 68 cents. Yeah. And then I sent out 25,000 cards. Okay? <laughs> it's expensive. Yes. And and then on banners, shirts, I have to take my campaign workers to lunch, breakfast, and dinner. Yeah. I have them. to do... Yeah, it's very expensive. So I never regretted running because I truly believe in democracy. I truly believe in uh, people's rights. But I didn't win. But I learned a lot. And I, I talked to myself and said, look... If I didn't spend this hundred thousand or hundred twenty-five thousand dollars that I did <laughs> oh my on my personal savings in my campaign, because I didn't want to ask people for donations. Yeah, I I hate yeah, asking for money. That's not my thing. I, I never it. I never like to ask people for money, and so that's why a lot of things in CBC is self-funded by ourselves mm -hmm. because we don't even push people for their membership of fees. You never I never send a. I uh, know. Yeah, you've never asked me. Yeah. Is it a twenty-five dollars a year? Yeah, it, and then you get uh, you get you get a monthly meeting of dim sum breakfast. Yeah, which we ask for a donation of five, but it actually costs twelve to thirteen dollars. Yeah, so we never ask people for money, right? So yeah. we we don't. That's the reason why we don't want to incorporate because we are not doing big things, and I don't think you need to do big things in order to make changes. I think an everyday person can make changes uh, by changing the attitude. Yeah. By 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 trying to be a uh, truthful to themselves and to others. I think those little changes will make 
changes overall if more people would do that. But a lot of people are scared. They are very worried, and then they are afraid to not toe the line. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm one of those few people. I've, I'm fearless. I do not think my life will ever change to suit the people that's trying to control me. No, because I think I have one life, and my time on this earth is short and precious, and I want to be remembered as an honest person mm-hmm. and willing to speak her mind for the good of many. And see, and, and that's why, like, a lot of people that don't know you, they'll always ask me, they'll say, oh, James, how, how did you become so close to Shulan? Like, what is, basically, what is the secret? <laughs> and I said, you just have to listen. I said, when, when you see Shulan on TV, you're just seeing a 15-second clip yeah. of what, of a whole conversation that they chose to put, yeah. but that's not the whole conversation. That's not. You're not, I said, you don't understand Shulan. Shulan isn't someone who is going to sugarcoat anything. If you ask her something, you're going to get the honest answer. Like, yeah. I guarantee you, if I would have asked you in any one of my three campaigns, you think yeah. I'm going to win? You would have said, no. No. <laughs> in fact, you've told me. Yeah. Because you understand the reality and the, di- the dynamics. Mm-hmm. And that's why... But I still support you. Right. I still vote for you because I think it's very necessary. You don't have to win in order to win. Right. You already won when you stood up. Yeah. And uh, that's why I would be the last person standing in front of Bulldozer because <laughs> I want to make a point that I'm not afraid of big government, mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of corrupt politicians, I'm not afraid of the gangsters that try to kill me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I just will stand, and if I die, I die. Just like Martin Luther King says, you know, I cannot worry about my life when I have so much to do. Right. You've got too much to do. You don't have time to worry about dying. Yeah. And if I die, I die. Because I would die an honorable death. Right. I'm not dying hiding under my blanket. And honestly, that's how a lot of people are. I've even, I even have friends that have run for office, and they've lost, and they were just disenfranchised. You know, they blame the voters not paying attention. No. I said, look, bro, like, yeah. like it's, it's okay. If Except you lose, it. Except it. you can still stay engaged. Now, yeah. one thing that was good about you, though, is the person you ran against, you guys worked together. You know, the All first the year, the first year, she won. Mm-hmm. She blacklisted me. She didn't want to work with me. Yeah, of course, because you ran against her. Yeah. That's why. And then, I didn't know she was running. She came in last minute. Oh, well. She had, she had lost the congressional, she had lost the senatorial race because they uh, reapportioned the district. <laughs> Oh. So she lost to Tanegawa. Because wait, she was a state house rep or a state? She was a senator. A state senator yeah. going for Congress. No, senator. Oh, so state senator redistricted out? Yeah. Oh, I see. So when she lost to Tanaguchi, hmm. uh, she quickly ran for city council. <laughs> and that and she, I had entered the race on August 31st. August, uh, almost towards the last few days of Tosi's... Uh, Tosi's uh, left to run for Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had promised four years, but she ran after two years. Yeah, Tosi Gabbard, yeah. yeah. She had promised us, I helped her in her election. And then... Um, She's an opportunist. Yes. Smart, though. Yeah. Smart, but though. Very disappointing to realize that her ambition was bigger than her commitment to the people that 
worked and voted for her. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and that's kind of a whole other topic, but I mean, yeah. like. But anyway, yeah. so Carol ran, and the first year and a half, she ignored me. <laughs> and uh, she didn't want to work with me. But then she, from her second year on, she was starting to be a city council woman. And she was starting to work with us. Uh, she could not ignore some of the issues. Mm-hmm. So we brought her in. I treated her very well. And then third year, I awarded her um, Chinatown Business and Community Association's Heroes Award. Mm-hmm. Because she deserved it. Mm-hmm. I I have no animosity or hostility towards anybody that I compete with because you have to you have to base uh, a person's uh, action and their work as merits, right? And not your personal prejudice. I have no uh, I have no prejudice against Carol. I still treat her as an important uh, person. For Chinatown, and she works with us now, but she was very skittish in the beginning. So, but she's kind of calmed down, and she's one of the hard, hardest working um, city council women, and I really appreciate her. Um, so, I have no reservation to say if Carol runs again, even though she's getting term limit, I would support her because she really did her work. Yeah, and. To be honest, there's a lot of politicians everywhere that just win and disappear. Um, yeah, many are just winning because they have uh, the unions behind them. They yeah. have the name recognition, but they don't do the work. So those are the cooks that I don't respect. And which they is, know I don't respect them. You know what's surprising about the, the union endorsements, which people didn't know. And even other candidates didn't know. The, the unions all have their PAC committees, but these PAC committees are just volunteers. But these volunteers might not have... They're hideous. Well, well I, they may have never been involved. They probably don't even know who their they, own city they, council they person hideous. is. They're hideous. I think this, this, this law passed by Congress is hideous because it, it empowered big corporations, right. big unions to have... Citizens United. They have they have the power and the money to run campaigns against people they don't like. Yeah, and this is not an equal well, playing field. It's not a, it's not a fair playing field because it should not have even been done because this is not democracy. This is buying votes and this is absolutely corrupt. And 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 my thing is like like again going back to the union packs. You know, we f- as candidates, you fill out all this information. You go into elaborate detail about your policies. I've been through that. <laughs> and these PACs, these, the people on the PACs, they don't... They want to f- own you. Well, they don't follow politics, really. They're no. just on the PAC. They're they, they dirty. They don't, they don't See, research beforehand. And, 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 and then the, um, the law allows them to hide. They don't have to be limited by the amount of money they spend. Yeah. And then they don't have to allow, they don't need to inform the candidate of their choice, of their actions. So they can, they are free willing any which way they want. And this is totally, I think this is such an aberration. This is such a wrong thing for our United States to do, to allow. I I hope sometime soon Congress (laughs) will repeal this very corrupt and very hideous and very dirty politics uh, law. Well, listen, the Democrats are in control. They're the ones who've been talking about overturning Citizens United. 
Well, where is it? How is that not first on the chopping block, especially with 2022 coming up and 2024, a possibility that Trump is going to run again? I think we don't have uh, good enough people who are running. Yeah, well, we don't. We have people who are not standing up for what our constitution says. Uh, I even think that to this day, we should do away with the electoral um, college because it has service purpose. It's no longer needed because why should we allow powerful politicians to decide the presidency? The president should be voted by every man and woman, not by these people. The electoral college doesn't work anymore. I think the defense for the electoral colleges, or at least one of the defenses is, there's a lot more people in 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 cities in towers who live a different life than the rural america so it's that doesn't i don't buy that yeah. anymore because with the instant internet and instant communication not like when they used to be on horseback <laughs> and they have yeah. to go to a, to a little town yeah. of 300 or 150 today we all have cable we all have cell phone that today, not not a single thing pass through without an instant uh, communication. It it has service purpose. Well, I I I understand the argument, but yeah. it doesn't work anymore because we're not we're not eighteenth uh, century. We're not nineteenth century America. Well, I still think I like the idea. So, how the neighborhood board elections run, where they send out an envelope with every candidate and their bio. And then you get a specific key, a one-time use key, because you registered. You use that key to vote. It's the worst election. Well, but in my opinion, <laughs> but in my opinion, that's how the at least the local election should be, because you get money out of politics. It's just publicly funded. It's equal. I, I would say the the neighborhood board. Let's let's split this into two. Okay. I would say that the neighborhood board is the least uh, run properly election because most people don't even know of it because right. there's not enough money spent by the government to inform and educate people about neighborhood boards there are 33 32 neighborhood boards but people are not informed only the um i would say minority people are informed about neighborhood boards you talk to people who live here for 30 years, they've never even yeah, heard, never heard of neighborhood board. So, what what you wanted to do, if you're really serious about neighborhood board being the voice of the community, is to really run it well, educate people, and let them vote. The way the elections are held, and the, the budget of the neighborhood board is, is an embarrassment. Oh, okay? yeah, yeah. And then, secondly, talking about general election, and how this is run, I believe that we should do away i sincerely i know this is not gonna go but i sincerely believe that every candidate should have an equal amount of money provided by the government to run and right. that there's no other advertising there's no other sponsorship so that is based on the bio and the speeches and the debates well and that's what that's what supposedly democrats are supposed to be pushing for is publicly funded campaigns yes. Because, yeah, you want to have debates. You want to have mailers. Yeah. You don't want to have just one you thing. Want, you want it to be an equal playing yeah. field. But, again, like, even in the state of Hawaii, we're Democratic. We're, we're a blue state. Now, are a lot of those Democrats really Democrats? No. They're Republicans who have to run as Democrats. And many it shows. Many change their coats. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they have to run as Democrats or they won't win. 
Republicans who've ran and lost changed to Democrat and won. Yes. So for whatever reason in Hawaii, they will only vote Democrat, even though it should be Republican. It, but it, it, it's kind of a, an interesting start off. It's a good thing. And they got corrupted. And I think that um, we have the most... Uh, I think we have the most uh, reprehensible um, union um, love bedfellow with elected uh, government. And um, unions support politicians that will serve their purpose. And, and candidates play into them because they need the money to run to win. So this is why we should not have... Um, not have the kind of election that we've been having in the last how many years now <laughs> since we got independent in 1959 um what 60 years 70 years yeah about i don't yeah. know I, I suck at math that's why yeah. i studied political science no but we became we <laughs> that's became, why our politicians can't bounce the, a budget we became the 50th state in 1959 mm -hmm. so it's now 2021 but you see my argument is we as a state could implement policy that says no outside money in politics we're going to publicly fund it because of self-interest the ones that want to win they want to give up their money yeah they will yeah that's off no so if you have enough people who are honest enough and say okay let's do away with all this um let's do away with all this um union donation let's do away with all of this let's just put A and B and C and D on equally and each one got $50,000 to run that's it I'm opening the Glen Livets my bad <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but, no, same thing but you know what a lot of these people won't win elections without that money because they don't have a network of people who truly support them well outside that's of that. why the whole the whole the whole running elections has become so complicated and so dishonest uh, it's not like when you're running for school president mm -hmm. in your high school. It's very, very, very people-oriented, right? right? You go to each classroom, you, <laughs> you stand up on a table, and you give your speech, and then you have an election. Mm -hmm. You know, Maybe you have a few buttons and shirts, but that's about it, right? But it's not that anymore, because running for office is big business big business because lobbyists they get you to write laws to suit them yep. to avoid taxes or give them credit or give them loans with no interest so it's become such big business that they have to get involved like contractors like look at all these contractors selling arms and defense weapons <laughs> yeah right and and they're the big donors right and you see all these Fortune 500 companies giving money because they want certain legislation in Congress. Yeah. So once co a congressman can be bought, if Mr. A got bought, Mr. C wants to be bought. Right. So it, it just goes down. 50 senators and your 400-something uh, representatives. <laughs> it's the name of the game is competition, right? So they're not their independent selves. Our politics, our politicians are bought. I'm sorry to say. Oh, yeah. Very sadly. Locally and congressionally. Yes. Which, which brings me to, in 2013, I was, I used to work at the, the state capitol 
as a legislative aide. <clears throat> so I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of legislation going through. I've seen the lobbyists come through. They bring their gifts and whatever. And it always bothered me because, like, maybe like yourself, like, Shulan doesn't have time to come to the Capitol to lobby for these bills that will impact homelessness. But when you come to Chinatown, there's a ton of homeless here. And in 2013, I was living in um, near Piikoi, and I had seen some homeless people. When you, when you started going into Waikiki, you started seeing homeless people. And I had asked my boss. She was a, a representative from the Big Island. Really great mentor. She was, she was kind of like you. She was very straightforward. Her name was Cindy Evans. Mm -hmm. I love her to death. Um, and she just said, I asked her, I said, you know, all these bills that are being introduced, none of them are addressing homelessness. I said, there's like crazy people walking around my building, you know, yelling at the wall. And she said, well, to be honest with you, it's not a big enough problem yet. And no one's going to address it until it's a big enough problem. Also, that same year, I attended a, um, it's kind of like an emergency informal session. I forget what you would call it. But it was about the impacts of climate change on Oahu. And uh, this, this um, study group was, was supposed to inform the representatives about how um, Kamehameha Highway basically needs to be pushed in about 100 feet because over the next coming years, it's going to be under, you know, it's going to be deteriorating, which we already see. Not one representative was in this meeting. It was a bunch of us legislative staffers. And even when I brought it up to my boss, she said, you know, again, like, you know what? It's not a big enough problem. No one's going to address it. Now, my thing is, when we start looking at things like the rise of China, the whole thing with China was that China was a copycat nation. They copied American ingenuity. And then, all of a sudden, they surpassed American ingenuity. They are the leader in artificial intelligence right now because they, of their policies. They can collect data on their citizens 24-7. And the citizens are kind of okay with that. But it's, just, it's interesting to me that in the U.S. we have a very short-sighted um, plan, especially for politics. So a state representative has two years. So they only want a win to be able to talk about because they need that for their next election, yeah? And it just, it fascinates me. It's the same as our Fortune 500. Mm -hmm. Because they're into short-term goal, and, and then they want to well, push the profit margin. And the, the most hideous things that this corporation have done is to not have a real voice for the company. Right. They put you on a robot. <laughs> yeah. 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 A, 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 a roundabout. And you can't you, never get a hold of anyone. So... I think that's the worst business plan anybody can have because your receptionist is the voice of the company. Mm -hmm. And when you put a robot that doesn't understand you and put you through the rigors of going through eight or nine <laughs> spots before you yell into the phone and say, I want to speak to a representative. <laughs> Please. This, this, this is why we fail in business. This is why we have short-sightedness and uh, people with no vision, they're only looking at the quick dollar the next three months. Yeah. So when you have uh, corrupt corporations, you have corrupt, short-sighted politicians, yeah. they're only looking to get elected no matter how. Yeah. They forgot they're supposed to represent the best interests of the people. Yeah, the ones who elected them. Yeah. 
to to them it's just a vehicle to get to the next step. Yeah. So until we change the mindset of our people, we're gonna lose to China. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. China has yeah. a has a one party, one rule government, and they can intimidate their people. But, But see, today, because they have been growing economically into mm-hmm. a giant, they're the suppliers to us guys. Yeah, they hold our bonds. They, we are the debtor to them, right? Yeah. So they have a lot of power. Russia too. So America started selling freedom as our our uh, um. Banner that America represents freedom, represents one man one vote, yeah, and you can be free to pursue your dream and your happiness. To a great extent, we still have that, but we have lost sight of that. We have totally lost sight of that. We have people like Trump, <laughs> <laughs> who has really brought our country. Back so many years, and it's so sad to have a sitting president inciting a riot to try to kill our elected Congress people in session for going to a vote where he was not going to be certified. <laughs> yeah. So to me, that was why. That is how how crazy and how very degenerating we are. Compared to but, even like fifteen, twenty years ago. But just to be, but just I mean, I don't. At the end of the day, I don't care about the Democratic or Republican Party because in my mind, they're all playing us. They're all playing us for. That's fools. why I said, you know, we should not, like the way the the elections are set, is wrong because you you have to do your primary election for one party, right? Then, uh, then you go to the um, election, uh. Overall, right, the general election, your primary election and general election, we should just have candidates, no parties, and we elect the person with the most popular vote. You don't have to belong to a party to run, I right? Wish, I wish it was. Yeah, that way. but the way it's set up is so that they can stay in power. So this is how unions and Democratic Party, Republican set up so that they can continue a two-party, three-party system. So that they can ensure they in the game. Yeah, and it's I mean. And and the people who are running as independent do not have the network or the machinery to run a big election. So it self defeats. It self defeats because that's why you have this crop of people in Congress in the last ten years that we are not we got gridlock. We're not passing any good legislation. We got a lot of pop barrel, but we're not doing. It. That's why our country in America is declining. It's been declining badly. Oh yeah. And Trump didn't help it because our reputation went down to the garbage, pretty bad. And it's it just always fascinates me because circling back to the uh, what my old boss told me when she said it wasn't that big enough of a deal. She's not realistic because she didn't want to deal with an unpopular issue. Well, no, she told me it just wasn't popular, and no one was going to introduce anything. Like she just told me, like she she had a couple bills that she allowed me to work on for the homeless, 
But of course, at that time, I wasn't educated enough on homelessness. Uh, because Just like you were told, stay away from Chulan. Why? You never yeah. asked them why? I wasn't. Well, they just said that you had a bad name in the neighborhood. That's why. What What neighborhood was that? Chinatown. They're not in Chinatown. <laughs> yeah, they in exactly. They in the bar district. They not They not in Chinatown. They never even walked down to Chinatown to see yeah. the problem. But admittedly, like that's what they told me. And but the thing is, is is now when you look back, you know, when she said it's not that big enough a deal. Maybe in 2013 wasn't. But when I was walking over here, because I'm, I'm at your place right now, I'm at your apartment. Mm-hmm. It's lovely. I love it. Um, and you made some really great food. What do you call this? The shrimp? A pineapple shrimp. Oh, yeah, the pineapple shrimp. Chashu <laughs> and uh, seared ahi. Yeah, so if any other podcaster is looking to host, <laughs> you want to uh, ask Shulan Schubert Kwok. Yeah, she's a, good, <laughs> she's a good guest. But when just walking down here, um, Hotel Street... Smith Street is just littered with homeless ba- people. Pa-wahi. And people who don't live in Hawaii might, ne- might not be able to fathom the idea that there's so much homelessness here. It's nothing like you see in L.A. yet. But that's only because in L.A. they're, they're concentrated in one area. We have the biggest homeless population per capita. And, and we are running um, number one and number two, right? And uh, why is that? You ask yourself, why did we get ourselves to this stage? And why are our elected officials and government not admitting that they dropped the ball? Yeah, because you know why? It's just like in other states. You know, the peanut the peanut industry, the peanut um, uh, homeless uh, feeding started 30 years ago. Oh, the um, peanut... Uh, ministry. Ministry. Yeah, the peanut butter ministry. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, Started, from it was right outside here. The and, Institute uh, of Human it, Services. Yeah, IHS. it was it was uh thirty years ago. Mm-hmm. And and then increasingly we got more and more homeless from the mainland. We yeah. have more and more homeless from Mawao for injured um uh, and, and our injured veterans. Uh then of course everybody watched the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest <laughs> and then they started letting out all the mentally ill people that they are not taken care of. And it was an excuse. Yeah. It was an excuse. So we are actually inheriting that policy where um, a mentally ill pers- person unable to fend for himself or herself is left on the street. And, and then who on the street has to deal with that? The community. Yeah. And, around and, them and, for and, me, and this is completely a, a very big uh, a very big irresponsibility of our government and it kills me because it's it's in my opinion it's the nonprofits it's the ACLU it's the other nonprofits who get grant money every year and they have to have something to fight against well I'll tell you so they for instance right but, now but they don't want you to forcefully put someone into treatment that they need, that a, a doctor, a psychiatrist, this is not, they always compare it to Nazi Germany. Oh, you're going to force people to take medicine. No. no, 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 this is, this is America. This is you trained know, you, doctors. You, you know, they need treatment. A few days ago, there's an article in Civil Beat concerning ACT, um, right? ACT is a, a law to have a community person or a non-profit petition the court to have the court uh, rule on 
mandatory treatment yes. for our mentally ill person who is unable to decide for himself or herself mm -hmm. to take medication or get into treatment. And the person is uh, living in filth, unable to take medication, unable to eat, unable to, yeah, to just really unable live. Unable to sustain themselves. Yeah. And so then the public defender's office, by the nature of their mission, jumps in to defend this person. ACLU jumps in to defend this person because it's by nature of their mission. They're not looking at a human being. They're looking at their mission. So they are making it a technical uh, situation where they're fighting against the best interests of this person whom they're supposed to protect and they're not protecting. Yeah, and that's interesting to me because... Like, if I'm out on the street, or if you see my mother on the street, and she's urinating, defecating mm -hmm. on herself, I want you to force her to get the treatment that yes. your certified psychi um, psychiatrist, you know, determined needs. You know, IHS has a really great program where they do the shots. I think the, the shots are for schizophrenia. Only if they're willing to. Yeah, but the thing is, with those shots, they spend two, three years, you know, building a relationship with these people. Mm -hmm. So I work at the food stamp office. So I see all kinds of things at the food stamp office. Yeah. I had a client's representative, which was his sister. Um, he was a Korean guy. She came in and she was like in tears because we were just talking. She was helping him get his food stamps. Um, but she was in tears talking about how this IHS program got her brother off the streets for the first time in 10 years. It took them two years to do it. But he has housing. He's housing first. He's not running the streets. He's not masturbating in the hallways like a lot of these homeless people. So, like, I get it. Like, if you're a bleeding heart and you just think that everyone should be able to make their own decisions, a lot of people can't. And a lot of these people out here need us But to I, I'm them. telling you, ACLU is great. Uh, public oh, defender is great. But I think... I like them, but... I think as far as this is concerned, they're thinking about their mandate. They're thinking about their grant. They're thinking about dumb guys uh, surviving, but they're not thinking about that homeless person who is eating his own shit. Yeah. Well, but here's my thing. If I'm in the ACU, L ACLU... Um, and they don't have another solution well, other than fighting us. Right. And they just fight everything. Every policy... Yeah. They, 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 don't, they don't have a solution. If... If ACLU tells me, I will house this person, I'll take care of him, I'll take him home. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hello. Hello, <laughs> Mr. Wise. Where are you? And then uh, talking about public, take, her, take these people home to your house. But no. Because, because these politicians they don't they're live. They're protecting their jobs. These politicians don't live in the areas where these no. homeless are. So like, wouldn't it make more sense, though, if you're in the ACLU, that you, these people get put into permanent treatment? And it doesn't have to be permanent. It's just till they can get their own sensibility. It's not like it's not like we're taking away their rights. Well, but the thing the, is, the, the rights are suspended temporarily so that they can get well enough to make decisions for themselves. But the ACLU could get a contract from the government to represent these people while they are in treatment, which is way more money. So they're such they're so short. -sighted. No, they've been very political and they've been very defensive for their own. Uh, survival because 
I, I do not see this as a good long-term policy of the public defender or the ACLU because look at the record. These people are on the street crying for help and they're not able to get help because of the obstruction put up by ACLU and put up by the public defender because they're not looking at a person who is homeless and in need of help. They're looking at the law by splitting hair. So you can cut your nose to spite your face. <laughs> yes. And so this is what we got. What right. burn, the, burn the whole country down to prove that you're right. I mean, if you look at L.A., mm-hmm. you know, the ACLU fought every kind of like policy to help these people. And now there's just a... T- so you mean to tell me that you want my mom to just be out there addicted to heroin, urinating on herself, becoming a prostitute, probably sexually, you know, raped. They're actually eating their, okay. own, they're eating their own doo-doo. Yeah. They are. It doesn't make any sense. What you could do is you could force the government to institute, you know, we used to have the mental health institutions. I know it's taboo to talk about. but It's we, not because I tell you, if you have, it's, it's management. If, if the people are not accountable, any good thing is not going to work. If, right. if the people who manage these things are accountable, and there's auditing them, and there's also people who so far wise. Which means and, it and has to be, in my yes. opinion, it has to be private. It cannot yes. be government run. But the ACLU should have a contract to go in. Like, to be honest, why is the ACLU not monitoring care homes where these elderly people are being yeah. abused, their money's being They're taken? They're selective because yeah. they like to make a political stand. And I, I admire the ACLU for defending human rights and things like that. But when it comes to life and death, they're not defending properly the right of the person to survive. They're defending the, the right of the person to, to, to die sooner by yeah. not taking care of them. And it kills me because they're also, they're not defending It's these. disgusting. It's disgusting. I think they should stop and reevaluate their policies. So, look, we are here to save lives. And you're there to, like you said, supervise this person's treatment. Right. Which so his, his rights at. are not taken away. Nobody's abusing this person by telling the person you need to get this medication to calm you down because you're right. high on dope. You need to cool down, right? You're going to die. So we need to save lives by stepping in. Just like in an emergency, right? Mm-hmm. You got an accident. You, you're bleeding on the street, right? Somebody called the ambulance. The ambulance come and take you. Whether you like it or not, you're going to the hospital, <laughs> yeah. right? So that should be the same thing with these people even, who have even just who have got to this, who have deteriorated to this stage where they cannot take care of themselves. They're living in a pool of yeah. human waste, and and we still got to protect their rights to to say yes or no. They can't say yes or no. But what kills me? But what kills me is, for some reason. The homeless people who are drug addicts that need help, the homeless people who are mentally ill, like they're they're mentally ill, they need help. They have more of a right to our publicly taxpayer funded spaces. Like my friend, she owned Charm Three. She had to close because th- there was homeless people pissing in front of her. But she just couldn't. She's close. Yeah, someone else bought her out, and you know they're trying. So we'll see, but. You know, how, how are businesses supposed to succeed when organizations and even the government is sticking up for the drug addicts? Listen, I don't care what anyone says. No one told you that you have to do meth. 
Did you have to do heroin? Whatever led you in your life. See, one of the things that always fault. always bothered me was they can get their government checks, disability check when yeah. they're drunk, or they take drugs, they become disabled. They get disability checks sent right to their bank. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And so they can continue to buy drugs, and they get free meals. They don't have to buy food. They can sell the food stamp food. So this is enabling them. The government is helping them to die sooner. So this is not protecting the rights of the citizen. Well, it's even, which in Hawaii, which a lot of people don't know, and maybe other states do it too, as I've told you before. And I even told um, Senator Carl Rhodes, and he didn't even understand the program. I said, did you know that the state funds general assistance program for people, if you're applying for food stamps, you can also apply for general assistance, cash assistance. And it's state funded. But if you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, you qualify. There's like, yeah. What's the incentive to, to get well? To yeah, you're enabling them to continue their lifestyle. And I know a lot of these um, homeless people out here, uh, because at the end, I don't judge them. I see the policy standpoint that needs to be changed. But at the end of the day, I don't. I don't look at the homeless people. Any different than anyone else. You see, else. you can you can see that the government don't want to involve themselves. Yeah, they just want to buy it off, buy 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 it off, kind of like get out of my way. Just do what you do, right? Shoo it away. Yeah. And for me, you know, a lot of people they'll get they get they get my intentions twisted, which is why Facebook is yeah I, I fucking can't stand posting on Facebook. Everyone just attacks everyone. <laughs> Any opinion you have, somebody attacks yeah, you. Right. But. I'm always looking at things from a, um, a problem-solving standpoint. You could be homeless, but I want to figure out how other people shouldn't be homeless or how we can help you not be homeless. I, I tell you, I think city and state, if they get together, we can put mini homes in and people can be housed. Uh, like my friends in Wainai, yeah, James, they, they, they're able to get together and they're able to get some grants they're building their own homes, right? They're able to buy because they have rules about if you want to stay in this commune, you have, you have to do no drugs, right? You have to keep the areas clean. You have responsibility, right? So you have to have a commander that is willing to put these things in place. And like Twinkie and yeah. James, they did that. So. And now they're going to be building homes for all of them, right? Because they got enough money. So if they can do that, why can't IHS do that? Why can't, uh, exactly. why can't Salvation Army, Catholic Charities, all of these people My, with millions you, and millions of dollars going to them? You know what kills me is a lot of these executive directors. So just a disclaimer, I have a master's degree in public administration, nonprofit management, and even in our nonprofit classes. We learned about how people just start nonprofits uh, because it's a way to pay yourself. Yes, I, I could start a nonprofit that's, that's to help reason, Chinatown. That's one reason I didn't yeah. want to do it. Yeah, one reason I didn't because I actually was advised to do it. Then I can pay myself a good salary yes. because I'm getting. I don't want to do that. And that's what people told me. They yeah. said, "Oh, you should do one for the homelessness." Yeah, and you could pay it's yourself a, a salary. I, I would not want to be involved in a scam to but, pay myself. But no. my thing is. When you look at the job descriptions for IHS, you have the executive director who's making 162000 a year. More, with other benefits. And then the employees are either volunteers or they're working for minimum wage. 
So you want master's degree level social workers to go out there with these people, and a lot of them do because they need the internship experience. But it's like, yo, like, wait, you're getting, you get 12 million dollars a year from the city and county of Honolulu, which is what Kirk Caldwell was giving them, plus whatever the state gives you, plus whatever your donors give you. How about you scale back your programs to something manageable and to where you could pay your employees something? But I think maybe 10, 10 people get paid very well. The rest are not. But I think they, they just grab too much and they cannot manage. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they do good things or their vision is good, but they it's just like... The, they don't have the people to run it well. Well, it's just like when they wanted to buy the, the, the property in Chinatown. Yeah. And then they lied to the media saying that we supported it, but no one ever knew about it. They did it. the same thing in Kalihi. And in Kalihi, and thank you for helping... Not you see, I, I have never opposed Akani. Yeah, me neither. Because I have all these years, I've let her do what... When, but when she marched in Chinatown with that lame excuse, yeah, I said no. I told her, I said, no, I cannot support you on this because I don't believe that's your real mission. Well, just even too, like how many homeless in Chinatown, we have several organizations that help homeless people already. But all it is is a beacon. And what IHS won't admit is that homeless people are, are bust in. No, you see, they wanted the $1.7 million. Yeah. And they wanted to have a foothold. From the they CARES buy, Act. No, they, want, they wanted the, a piece of real estate that they want to own. Okay. Yeah, and that's terrible. So, no yeah. way. And, no and it was, way. It, it was, no they had lost sight of their mission. It became uh, like they are asset building and they were being um, commercializing everything. And to me, when, when Connie did that, I told her, I said, Connie, I've never fought you in 20 something years, mm -hmm. but I'm going to put my foot down on this one. Yeah. Because you way out of line on this one. Well, and the same move that they... So I was surprised when I was running for office in 2020. And then the people in Kalihi reached out to me. And they said they had reached out to you. Yes. But they didn't hear back from you right away. And I said, okay, I'll ask Shulan if she remembers. But, you know... Actually, they called me on a really bad uh, week. And then... Uh, and the message that they, they left on my cell phone wasn't clear. <laughs> yeah, it, so you didn't understand. I didn't understand what they were talking about or what they wanted. So until you called me and I said, oh, that's what it was. I wasn't clear because they were just, three people called me. just. Yeah, they were all pissed. They yeah, all and pissed. they were just talking about things that I didn't understand what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So until I understood it, I, I went and met with them, right? So, um, but as far as the Chinatown one, it was like Connie was speaking out two sides of her mouth, mm. and that um, and that that um, Zoom conference was, was a joke. It was a joke. Yeah, that it's all was it. That was it. She was not allowing us to ask questions. Yeah, she was like doing had, a big PR. You know, I had put some several questions in there, and then they closed. No, they off ignored the chat. me totally. Yeah. yeah. I, I was I was happy though when Connie came to the neighborhood board meeting. Disclaimer, I'm on the downtown Chinatown neighborhood board. So I was happy when she came and she said, Hey, look, we understand, we heard the community, we respect that. She was super cool. As long as I've known Connie, I've known Connie since twenty sixteen as well. She invited me in, she gave me these presentations about IHS and the homelessness and, and mm -hmm. what they're trying to do and, and she's very straightforward too. Like mm -hmm. 
she'll tell you that the homeless people don't need sandwiches from the church. They need medication. Mm -hmm. But we need to be able to force them to get the medication. That's the only way we're going to do mm -hmm. this. So I was so happy when she came to the neighborhood board and said that. And then when I got the message from uh, the residents in Kalihi, the IHS all of a sudden. She was quite devious. Yeah, the, all of a sudden devious. IHS yeah. popped up in Kalihi talking yeah. about. She was quite devious because I think she was trying to do a lot of things and she cannot, she got greedy and she couldn't, could not resist the money. Yeah. So she quickly put together a program. They never had this program. Yeah. And, and then because they could get away with the cash money without council approval, so they were saying, why, wow, 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 I could buy my building now. You but know? here's the thing, like even Caldwell. Caldwell was so quick to say, oh, Chinatown, just throw it in Chinatown. Oh, he never loved Chinatown. Oh, fuck you, bro. He Chinatown, never loved Chinatown. Bro, we have enough shit going yeah, on in Chinatown. She, he was just pretending to love Chinatown because <sighs> it's good politics. I can't stand that, dude. But... It was surprising, though. When they reached out to me from Kalihi and said, oh, this is what's going on, I oh, shit. And then I felt bad because I, I really like Connie Mitchell. She's a good person. I've invited her to be on the podcast to discuss homelessness. Mm -hmm. um, I have no interest in discussing those incidents. I just really want to talk about homelessness. So we'll see if she'll come on. But at the end of the day, like uh, you have to be respectful think, to the I communities she, that you want to operate in. I think she was very misguided by the, the money. And that, um, I don't me, think that she knew the full extent. I think she was probably told by the city that these are the this property is good and you should go for that. She didn't know that she was she was told that her people went door to door in Kalihi, telling them what was going on. She went to Golden Cabinets. She was blindsided. No, well, Connie was, was blindsided. No, the people went and asked. The, the few merchants, maybe five or six. Yeah. And they said, do you want us to help you with getting rid of the homeless people? And of course they say yes. Yeah, they said yes, <laughs> please, of course. Yeah. But they did not tell these people, we're going to be taking these people right next door to you. Yeah. We're going to hang around and we cannot control them because they're free to come and go. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. But when I saw Connie's face during our meeting, I felt like she was blindsided in the sense where her people told her, hey, we went door to door, we passed out flyers, but they weren't truthful. Even the representative Daniel Holt, uh, disclaimer, I ran against Daniel Holt. That's the state representative. He was told for the wrong district. thing too? No, he showed up to the meeting very combative, mm -hmm. like fighting the community members, saying, no, I knocked on your door, I knocked on this door. And one of the ladies, uh, I forget her name, but she was there at the neighborhood board meeting. But she, she said, okay, which door did you knock on? She said, point to it. And, she's, and uh, so he points to this door, you know, across the way. And she looks over at the guy who lives there. And she says, hey, did he knock on your door? He said, no. <laughs> and she looks at Daniel Holt and she says, He's Korean, he doesn't even speak English, so how did you tell him that IHS had a plan to put homeless people here for a triage center? After you just gave us this whole spiel about how you informed the community, right? Like, and I could see Connie sitting there like, oh my God, like. So Daniel was lying? Yeah, lying like a motherfucker. Of course, of course. Daniel, 
which was uh, is always upsetting when you lose to to, a, to somebody who's never around. Daniel has no idea what's going on in, in his immediate community or the the district itself. But why was so why was he so gung-ho to support IHS? Um, I even got a knows? section of police department gunning for Connie that meeting because they worked with her in that uh, Staten Island. Yeah, they were very outfit. combative too. Mm-hmm. Which is disappointing, but you know what? HPD is so corrupt. But in HPD are some really good people. Yes, minority. So when people talk about HPD being so corrupt, yeah, I do think it is. To be honest, I know some very good people in there. I'll be honest though. I don't think Susan Ballard became chief of police as a female through all those years through chauvinism and masculinity. Come on, I don't think that she became chief of police without some baggage. But I don't think you're going to find someone within the department who doesn't have baggage. Yeah, even she, our mutual friends. Yeah, she got baggage. Yeah, even our mutual friends who I won't mention, but they they have to know. But it doesn't mean that they accept But they it. have to watch their job. They exactly. have to watch their mouth. And uh, things things might be better unsaid. So. But they're, they're good. And, and those are the people that... Uh, you meet with all the time. Yep. Anytime you need something done. Yep. They're helping you out. Yep. Uh, to be honest, I can call them mm-hmm. and ask for help or yep. ask to sit down and have a meeting and, and they'll be there. And yep. And then I they also have their hands and hands tied to some extent uh, because that's the way our system has evolved and it's sad. But I'm, I'm fortunate in that, you know, nobody bothers me. Really, they don't bother me because. Wait, so wait. What happened when uh, we were going after? There's a store in Chinatown, and at the store there has been multiple murders, <laughs> fights, right? Arrests. Somebody, somebody protecting that store. Yep. Yeah. So for people living outside of of Hawaii, um, if you live somewhere like Chicago or other areas the worst the worst thing is that the liquor commission did not do its job well but the thing is like like there's a mafia control in a sense not necessarily the mafia but there's a mafia control of some of the businesses in, in these areas and you know what in a sense i respect them because there's multiple levels to the economy itself whether it's you go down to like prostitution pimps illegal gaming rooms you know the legal stores everything like there's so many layers, but I I think of the economy. This store, for years, had gone unsupervised, and for years, and we got 100 signatures from every store around it. And the chairman of the liquor commission refused to vote on this, and then the agency never scheduled us for hearing. Right. And then they got automatic uh, renewal. But in their defense, it was because they said there was no reported. Yes. Inc- so because those that murders. That was the whole game. That was the whole game, yeah. where um, there was no supervision or or, 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 or um, enforcement. There was there was nothing, and then people didn't trust the system to call in to report. Even if you call in to report, just like Steve Flo found out, uh, their system was not perfect. It didn't record the complaint, and they actually had a street um, party, and he called in about the noise, 
and then their system said there was no complaint. Uh, they never received the complaint. Yeah. Well, so I mean, they completely <laughs> washed it out. So whether it was a systemic problem or it was, it was planned that way, but finally one person said, yeah, there was a, there was a Honolulu Liquor Commission person there, and but it was not in the database. It was not in their system. So the same thing could be happening with Manakia Liquor. That anything that comes in from Manakia Liquor is voided. Oh, it's, of course. It's erased. It's it's who it's, knows? It's irrational to think that there's no complaint. I mean, the people living across from, yeah. the, from they, I'm sure they complain, but how come there's no record well, of the it, complaints? It's just irrational to me, and I don't blame HPD for this because they're you not. You think Duke's Bistro would not complain? Right. Of what's going on? But I don't. I don't blame HPD because they're not prosecutors. But if there's three murders in two years outside of a specific store, yeah, that ha- already has community complaints, yeah. not maybe not official through the liquor commission, even if we, like, even like, with the lack of community complaint, yeah. because you have a you have a community of people who can't speak English, uh, they're not gonna yeah. complain. So if if the same person complained, they discount you, right? That's like when I complain, they discount me, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm the complainer, right? On Chulan complaints, right? So, but there were eighty-eight police calls to that, to that store. But eighty-eight see, calls. But that goes back to my original thing, where I was saying, like, people don't want to call themselves. They'll go to Shulan. They'll go to even Dolores yeah, or but, anyone else. But the police received eighty-eight calls in one year mm-hmm. to Manakia Liquors. Okay. Yeah. And the and the police commander uh, testified. And the mayor testified. Yeah, and, and the yet mayor they, testified. Yeah, and yet they went on and renewed the license. To be honest, that was the best thing that Caldwell could have ever done. And that's the first thing he ever did right. And that's, to be honest? That was the first thing he ever did right. For the liquor commission themselves to vote against the yeah. mayor? And you know what the, like, the, the, the prosecutor what? of the liquor commission said to me? He said, oh, Chulan, uh, Manaki Liquor is your victim. Can you believe her saying that? They're not a victim. But see, what kills me is, like, she, I always... No, she actually, when I went to testify, she told me, she told she told the hearing that Monica Licker was a victim. Yeah, yeah. So the guy... Well, well, how screwed up is she? So wait, know? the guy, the big-ass Samoan dude who sits outside in the chair because there's a gambling room upstairs. Yes. They're a victim. Like, see, and that's the thing. Like, these politicians, they don't get it. So I've even told Senator Rhodes, because he's always introducing these anti-gun bills. And I always tell these other Democrats who support anti-gun bills, because I'm a Second Amendment supporter. I'm a Democrat. I, I own a firearm. I always tell them, like, yo, like, you don't realize, like, all these bills that you're passing, they only hurt me as a legal gun owner. I could take you to any bar in Kalihi or in Chinatown even, and we can go and we can get some equipment that you didn't think was available outside the military because you guys don't have control of the port. So when you talk about, now they're talking about what, uh, another, uh, they're, they're upping the fine for fireworks because fireworks are illegal in Hawaii. So for people outside Hawaii, you're not allowed to own fireworks in Hawaii, but I guarantee you, every New Year's, every 4th of July, you go onto YouTube, you live stream Waipahu, Kalihi. We have the worst cannons. We have I, the... have, I have people firing off cannons over well, here. But I'm saying, like, like, we have fireworks galore. 
So How did they get in? You can't even because the ports are so porous. Yes. They don't scan the the crates. They only investigate every every so many. They have you know, they might have like thirty thousand. No, they are largest coming ones in. Yet, I'm sure. I'm so, sure they know when it comes from China, that it's got to be something funny around around July yeah, Fourth. To be honest, around. like our ports are so porous, like they don't have the technology i think the governor did ask for these scanning devices that will scan but to be the cost to the consumer is going to go up dramatically because the time it's going to take to scan each um container that comes off well have oh more fires and even this year they have somebody got burned right yeah and for me i just say hey you know so be it but you know the illegal fireworks somebody was selling them they know who's selling them you know where to get it so the police know who's selling them. How come they're not arrested? Listen, the police know where the game rooms are. Yes, they do. My friend was dating. A police, actually, a police department are pretty smart. Yeah. Listen, my friend was dating someone from HPD. They go to the game rooms. It was just a couple weeks ago that this person was like blowing up their phone to pick them up because whatever there was drama going on but people in hpd know listen i'm a nobody and i can go into the game rooms i used to go to the game rooms i used to pay like 40 dollars to go in and then you go in it's like some shitty ass you know table games and casino games but um you know if you win you can't tell nobody but you have to tip the cashier you have to tip the manager and you have to tip the door guy on the way out if you don't tip the door guy on the way out, the manager and them who know that you won are going to tell him, and then he's going to rob you. So you <laughs> might win 15000 but you're going to walk out with probably five. But that's how the game rooms work. I've been to them. I, you know, you know, I have no shame with saying that. I've been to the after-hours clubs. I, so that's why when I ran for office, I was like, I have so much insight as to how things work. I'm not looking to necessarily punish or, or make everything illegal, but you have to go in with a, a realistic sense of how the economy works, how people are making money, and how drugs, guns, and prostitution is coming in. I was just in Walmart buying an SD card for my recorder, and there was this older black guy with two really bad-looking his his prostitutes and it was just disgusting but that's that's the reality right that's how they make their money they got their own thing going on but you know until people start realizing that there's i can tell you in chinatown every day there's been betting going on there's been numbers going on oh yeah the same vietnamese guy there's a vietnamese gang here yeah and uh they're all over and they they take bets they, they, they play a uh, lottery and they have all kinds of bets going on and the same guys always in Chinatown. Well, always which, sitting around. What street is Duke's Bistro on? Is that Mauna Kea? Yeah. So every day when I'm walking home from work, at the corner there on Mauna Kea and um, Baratania, there's a group of Asian guys. They have all this liquor with the, with the, with the security cap still on from whatever store. And then there's... There was a girl out there with these Gucci bags and things like it, it, it has turned into like a hot spot of of either stolen or um, yep, the parking lot. 
of whatever goods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And from what I understand, uh, my, my friends that used to work at Ohana Lay, they used to own Ohana Lay. They used to send me security video, and I used to send it to you. But there's a lot of these um, restaurants buy their liquor from people who steal it and they buy it cheaper. And that's what I'm saying. Like when it comes to the economy, there's multiple levels to the economy that are working here. Yeah. Honey Liquor Commission. You know, individuals are selling liquor outside Chinese Cultural Plaza by the steps. Yeah, every day. Company. Every day when every I walk day, home, I see day. them. Every day, there are yeah. three of them every day. selling liquor. Yeah. Selling wine and hot liquor from stolen. And, and they stare at me because I'm white. <laughs> yeah, on, on River Street. They think I'm a cop. They sell them $12 uh, a bottle. And why aren't they catching these people? Because HPD will always tell you, and the Liquor Commission will always tell you, that they're trying to catch the bigger fish. They're trying to see who's the bigger fish. Bro, there is no bigger fish. These dudes stole that liquor themselves. There's no bigger fish. These dudes stole that liquor themselves. It's either from Long's, from Walmart, yeah. or from Costco. It's crazy. And they're selling uh, on uh, River, Wayside, and Samalit. Yeah. And it's sad because these criminals basically run our community more than we do. And then the food stamp guy. They're selling shrimp. Yeah. They're selling steak. Uh, selling rice. I just don't think we have enough cops willing to Yeah, we do don't this. have enough cops. Even you willing know, to catch them. The problem is, is HPD does have such a good academy. They're ranked what number 2 in the US that they get poached. As soon as you graduate, they're being poached for you know 90,000 hour, you know, $90,000 a year jobs in California. 100 and something thousand dollar an hour a year jobs in California, Nevada. I have always argued that we need to pay HPD more. How thousand? Yeah, like you gotta pay them more because we need more you know, people. If police, police get that pay firemen and the teachers, yeah. nurses. But they won't even pay the teachers more. No, my son is making fifty-five thousand dollars a year. What kills me is, it's the same thing with the state. Like they want to pay these administrators who do nothing but micromanage and they're supposed to develop policy but at the end of the day if you don't need policy for anything then don't but but they're paying these administrators six figures I'm telling you a garbage man makes hundred and ten thousand dollars yeah that's over time uh, the longshoreman makes works only for 30 hours a week yeah. and he's making hundred fifteen thousand a year yeah but we need teachers you just get maybe 50,000. Oh, that's terrible. We need teachers to make as much as that. It's not fair. The problem is is, is we're too busy paying administrators and principals. Yeah. Uh, but you know, even with this virtual online learning. You know, I always wonder about the salary commission and why they consistently voted for Cutwell to get more pay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. I don't <laughs> I will never because the commission was appointed by him. <laughs> I will never hate the player. I can always hate the game. <laughs> but to be honest, I never you know I never disliked Kirk Caldwell as a person, but as a politician. He's a nice man. Yeah, he's a super nice guy. Yeah. I mean he came to my birthday party one year. But but 
my fear is. No, he came to my birthday party one year. Yeah. And he was just like a regular guy. You, you, you He's like him. Super I, cool. I supported him. He's a nice guy, but I think he's one of our worst mayors. Yeah, he's not a good executive. He's not a good executive. So I could be friends with people and just, you know, the reality you know, is I, I you're not a good leader. I spoken to him leader. before he ran. He was running against Carlisle. Carlisle was a mayor, and I supported Cutwell and even donated $500 to him. And then uh, I asked him, I would support him if he would support Bar from the Chinatown, right? He said he would. Uh, and then he fucking turned his back. Well, we did have the um, we did have the hygiene center, the first in Honolulu, and it's under Cardwell. But Carla told me no, no bathrooms. That's why I told him I cannot support you. Carlisle told you that. Interesting. See, I don't know much about Carlisle because that was before I got into it. It's a one term, into... but I think Carlisle is a very interesting person, right? But I don't think most mayor have uh, an understanding of Chinatown like Farsi or like Harris. Yeah, I don't think they understand. Well, Chinatown is such a colorful and important history historic place and all of them mishandle it and uh except for Fossi. You, you know one of my you know one of my things with and Chinatown Harris. is yeah in Chinatown maybe Blanchiardi will get it and it will be uh, well we can hope and and actually I want to get into that yeah. uh, and with, I think with if Mike Formby if, if he if he gets it right it will he it will be his legacy but here here's my defense of Chinatown which I used to tell even Carl Rhodes, Senator Carl Rhodes, which I'm pretty sure he knows, but I don't know. Um, it's a lot of immigrants who own businesses, and a lot of their people might be illegals. And the last thing they want to do is combat what Kirk Caldwell said. So when Kirk Caldwell came around and said, oh, we're going to put these stupid-ass fucking ball bouts around your shit, and yeah, we're going to cut off all your parking in your garage and, and, and your garbage and all that shit, and... Yeah, you know, but we're going to do it. What do you think about it? Of course the owners were like, yeah, okay. Because they might, they just don't want to deal with the immigration and all that. And I respect that. My hope is with Form B, is it Form B or Forms B? Mike? My Form B is, I think, a good man who's trying to work. He's, he's trying to surf in this very difficult waters well i guarantee you he is the one that told rick yo you have to get out there on the ground when i saw rick blangiardi on the ground in chinatown and then the other areas i said oh i said that's i don't know mike personally but from what you have told me and, and from yeah. my emails with mike least, that is that is mike. at least he has kept his promise with yeah. me yeah yeah and i respect him because i worked with him when he was the chief at dts uh, and we got our dragons situated. Mm. We got the um, we got the speed table built. Yeah. Now I also work with other people, and we got the police station uh, signage, uh, and the plaque. Uh, we got a lot of things done with different commanders. Okay? So, wait, do you think that under Mike, 
do you think we could get a speed table put up there on Mauna Kea and Baratania? I mean, DTS always says, like, there's not enough crash statistics, but come on, man. Like, are you we kidding hope, me? Because, like, now, my take from the mirror was this, that they would compromise and they would do half the diamond head side of, of uh, Smith Street going to be a uh, permanent bulb out mm -hmm. and the other side not. And I can understand it's a difficult decision. But that's smart. They compromise. That's what. That's yes. diplomacy. Yeah. That's politics. Yeah. That's yeah. Because you got the unions on one side, you got contracts, and then you got people. Yeah, still, you don't want to cancel the contracts no, that were already. You, you still have people entrenched in the Department of Transportation, uh, from deputy director down, who. So wait, I gotta ask this: Who is the director and deputy director of DTS? I because well, I was disappointed. Director, the deputy director is John, and 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 he was all for the bulb out from the previous uh, administration. But and who's West, the director? The director is Roger. Now he was from uh, the bus company. Interesting. How come John didn't want it? John is a civil service a deputy director. So he saved, and he was the one so hard knows about it. Yeah, but come on, a deputy. He wants to be deputy director again. That's like a vice chair. No, he, like he's just getting paid. No, he's deputy director. Yeah, and, but you just you just getting paid. And he still has a lot of power. He still has a lot of power, and he was wrong. He was wrongheaded. So is Harrison Rue. Mm -hmm. Harrison Rue is the worst uh, policy maker for Chinatown. The worst. The worst. The worst. So, but wait, sorry, one more time. Who's the director for DTS now? Roger. Oh, interesting. Well, but I think you have an ally with this mic. And actually, I no, want to no, get... No, no, no. It's a team. I think uh, the mayor's wife, Karen, who is Chinese, mm -hmm. and she could see how terrible Chinatown is. So she should have some pride. She has a lot of pride. Good. And I think she is right to direct uh, her sentiments... Because it's an outrage of what Chinatown has become. And the best thing, in my opinion, that Mayor Blangiardi could do is at least try to fix the problems. You're not going to solve the problems. But at least if you try, unlike Caldwell. I just looked at Sweet Street just now. We respect just a few hours ago. They dug up, so I know they're going to pour concrete. Mm -hmm. So that was already in the works under Caldwell and also on the website. So, but I, if they did half and left the other half, we'll see how it works. And I told them, I said, a speed table there might work really well. Okay? A steep speed table is very cheap to do. And it slows down traffic. If you think uh, it's a traffic problem for a pedestrian, a speed table will save lives. A bonds walk saves lives. Like yeah. the one where our dragon is. Uh it's the, it's the first Bonds crosswalk in Honolulu, and it's built in Chinatown. It's the best crosswalk we ever had. And then Waikiki adapted the two. idea, yeah, which two. is smart, because why would you have cars trying to turn left and right yeah. while and, pedestrians And, and then for, for Chinatown's narrow streets, we should either have traffic lights that says no right and no left turn while, while pedestrians walking. So that's the Bonds crosswalk. Stop other cars when pedestrians are walking. Stop pedestrians and cars are moving. 
So that makes sense. Yeah. And then or a speed table, absolutely safe space, safe money, and safe the drainage. Yeah. Because Chinatown goes this way from Diamond Head to River. Well, the problem was with Caldwell, which is what's happening with a lot of cities in general, is they're trying to pander to the progressive bike lane. We got to have bike lanes to go bikes everywhere. But look, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They instituted bike lanes. First of all, the bike lanes look stupid as fuck because it's just these white pylons in the middle of the road. It's not... I used to live in Brazil. In Brazil, their bike lanes are separated by a concrete sidewalk you can walk on. It's, a, it's very nice. There's a concrete sidewalk between you and the road, and then there's a bike road. But a lot of these cities are instituting these really shitty bike lane policies. Have you been down King Street in Baratania? Dude, our bike lanes look like shit. The paint is faded. Half of the pylons are gone. The concrete pillars are moved. I'm hoping that our current mayor supports bike lanes because you want that. I, I love the extra transportation model. But you really got to do it and really invest in something that makes I think, sense. I think King Street can be uh, revised because... On the one hand, you have parking. On the other hand, your bike lane, right? Yeah. And it's difficult to understand both, especially when you have to turn into Strap Hospital and you have to turn into <laughs> yeah. medical buildings and stuff like that. Yeah. I was like, I don't and even look. I actually asked that let's go back to the old ways where you can park and not take away one lane. Yeah. But mark the center of the street on King Street for biking so well, that well, the bicycle <laughs> can go right, can go left. But right now, the way is on one side. It can only go one way. Yeah, it cannot turn stupid. right. Look, it cannot turn. <laughs> and even on King Street. It cannot, you... turn into, it cannot turn into Keomoku from King because it's, <laughs> it's stuck in one lane, right? Well, but the other side is, is there's not even signs to tell you that Yo, hold up, it's 5.30, people are parked here, so you could be driving in this far right or but far because, left lane. Because it's a federal, it's, it's something to do with federal, with uh, grant and money, and, and also it's driven by uh, policy uh, that seems like smart, but it didn't really, uh, it didn't really work in Hawaii, so they kind of forced a square pack into a round hole. Yeah, it's stupid. I'll yeah. be honest. And to yeah. be honest, in my opinion... That and many was, people feel that way. Yeah. Well, in my opinion, that was Kirk Caldwell. That was Kirk Caldwell. You were the mayor. You were the executive. You had to sign off on all of that shit. We have shitty-looking well, bike look lanes. At, look at, look at 8,000 signatures from Chinatown to... Yeah, Mayor for Clark the Corral, stupid ball belts. The ball belt. That failed in San Francisco. Yeah. That failed in, that failed in failed Portland. In every city. Every failed in every city. city. And then Kirk Caldwell decided, and I'll give credit to DTS, because DTS told him, no, it's not going to work. And he said, no. From what I understand, from my the, friends... The council, the council voted against it. Yeah, and then he still wanted to do it. And now Kirk Caldwell wants to run for governor of Hawaii. So, we'll circle back. The whole reason for me wanting to start this podcast is because in Hawaii, we don't have a, a platform for people to share their true opinions. And honestly, a lot of people aren't going to share their true opinion. They're going to want to come on. They're going to want to talk. But they're not going to tell you how they really feel. I really, but that's on, my why Facebook, it, on my Facebook, 
you saw my opinions about Kai Wow. Well, but that's why it was important for you, Shulan, to be my first guest. <laughs> because you're very outgoing. You speak your mind. You speak the truth. And you, you're like me. You don't hold a bias. No. I if, don't dislike... Listen, Kurt I, Caldwell did some good shit. No, I don't dislike And Kurt. he did some bad he's shit. He's a nice guy. But... Yeah, I, actually, I, he's I, a really nice guy. He's a nice <laughs> he's guy. Really nice I like guy. him. We drank together. Okay? He was at my birthday party. Okay? We had a good time. And uh, I like him as as uh, somebody socially. But I think as a mayor, he sucks. And then... If he were to run for governor, I would not support him. I have really stated that many times on my Facebook because Kurt is so very uh, attracted to money and uh, Kurt forgets the people. And that's why I cannot support Kurt for governor. I would support uh, Lieutenant Governor um, Josh Green because He's out there doing things. He's not trying to get media recognition, every little thing he does. So it's important to realize that Kurt would not serve the best interests of the people of Hawaii because Kurt gets so dazzled by the money, by the money. He just loves money. So I, I'm sorry, Kurt, because like you as a person, but I don't want you to be my governor. Because as mayor, you're disastrous. You did not care for the people. You care for money, 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 money. Yeah. So I cannot support Kirka well for governor. Because as mayor, we saw the real Kirk. It was all about money, money, that was money, terrible. power. You have whole communities, which you know what kills me about Hawaii. Hawaii is very um, special. To be honest, there's probably parts of like California and Texas and Arizona that deal with like native issues, like actual Native Americans. But in Hawaii, every politician talks about they, they want to help the native Hawaiians. Hawaiians who were born and raised, they have a history here before statehood. But then when they get into power, they don't do shit for these native Hawaiians. Kirk Caldwell, perfect example. Yep. Waimanalo. These people protested against the sports <laughs> complex. It's so sad. Where was that? Where was the windmills? I even forget where the windmills were supposed no, to be. And they plus, protested. Plus the people that accept and city he, park. Yeah, and he was, yeah, and he was forcing people to accept shit. Like, listen, bro. You were just giving a speech about supporting Native Hawaii, and that's what—that's what's so gross about politicians. But it's gross about voters. The voters don't hold these politicians accountable for what they say. The scary well, thing is, which I tell everyone, Kurt Caldwell has the best chance to win governor of Hawaii, even over Josh Green, because Josh Green doesn't have a name so much. But Oahu decides everything. Oahu is the city center, which is terrible because we develop policies and laws that really destroy the livelihoods of the rural areas of the Hawaii Islands. But our politicians will sit there and tell you how they're supporting Hawaiians, but yet they're, they're destroying things. A lot of Hawaiians rely on gun rights and gun initiatives to, to hunt and get food. But on Oahu, they say, oh... 
we support Hawaiian rights and Hawaiian issues, but we're going to ban your use of semi-automatic firearms. Those firearms that you need to defend your farm because you might have a horde of a hundred pigs disrupting your crops that you're trying to, you know, sell. And what are you going to do with a bolt action rifle? You're going to fucking shoot all these, they, you know, but the people on Oahu, they don't get it. It's same thing with Caldwell. They just say like, oh, oh, we support Hawaiian rights. Even this uh, it's so gross when white people like me, I'm white. They say, oh, I defend Hawaiian rights. You're like, what the fuck do you do for Hawaiian rights? How many Hawaiian leaders do you know? Because they're very diverse, and there's many, and they all have a different opinion about the lineage, about the next you know, royalty in line. My favorite, which is my best, one of my best friends, Bill Sousa. You know Bill Sousa. He's a member of the Royal Order of Kamehameha. His view of Hawaiian rights and Hawaiian history is different than, say, Ernest. Ah, yes. Yeah. I know Bill. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just crazy how these politicians, they use people and whatever. But, but to circle but back... First off, first off, I gotta tell you something. The Hawaiians need to shape up. Because... Oha. 100%. 100%. Oha is such a powerful organization that's been mismanaged. And also DDHL. DHHL. Yeah. Department of Hawaiian Homeland. So, yeah. for so those who don't bad. know, who, because they're not they not But, but let's not. let's explain what Department of Hawaiian Homeland is because for yeah. people who might listen outside of Hawaii, they don't understand that there is a, a state department that is supposed to control what other city? What other states would consider tribal lands? We control Hawaiian lands. So. But you know, it has so much money. Yeah. But it's not even getting the land and hopes that they owe twenty-two thousand homes that people are waiting for for fifty years. That is a crime. Well, now here's the thing. Um, I've had people. So I really liked her name is Stacy Lynn Ely. She's from the YNI side over there. And when she was running, I supported her. She had run like four times before she won. So many Hawaiians who came up and become credible leaders kind of disappoint Yeah. in the end. I, I have some faith in Kai. More than I have faith in Tosi. I'm, I, 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 I think uh, Tosi forgot her supporters and her people when she got so ambitious she thinks that she can be president so wait what do you think about ed case i love ed case ed case i trust because, i love ed case because ed case was uh was a, a congressman once mm -hmm. and then he lost and then uh you have um somebody else and somebody else but when he ran he got overcoming support because number one Ed Case is a local boy, yep. and Ed Case cares about Hawaii, and I really trust Ed Case. But the Democrats were after him because he was saying so. Well, he wanted... well the reason why they 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 uh, fought him was because he had the audacity to run against Akaka. No, 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 not uh, after. Yeah, after, yeah. No, no uh, I'm talking about last year when he made statements that he was against the Jones Act. But he wasn't against the Jones Act. He just wanted a waiver. No, he's right about the Jones yeah. Act. Yeah, 
he wanted a waiver. But in Hawaii, even with the unions, and disclaimer, I'm a state director for mm -hmm. Hawaii Government Employees Association, which is the largest public sector union. Um, I think I think we need to get rid of the Jones Act. It's a scam. Yeah. So I just want people to realize no, that the my... the Jones Act is a scam. Yeah, but I want people to understand that my views are because, not the views uh, and, of the and, unions and, 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 I represent. And, and Congressman Ake is correct because you don't change policy just by changing the flag. Yeah. I think Senator Inouye, who started this thing, was trying to employ union people and people... Uh, from Hawaii, but as reality sets in, it's not possible always yeah, to have can't. union people to run these places in the ship because you take people from Indonesia, from Thailand, all that to run the ship on cheap labor. Yeah, and then you you then land in Hawaii, and then all of a sudden you have to change shirts and say, <laughs> "Oh yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm union, I'm Hawaiian." Da, 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 da. But that doesn't work because it's not honest. Truth. Yeah. And I think the Jones Act need to be repealed so that we can then set in a new policy of honest commerce and honest um, marital commerce and say, okay, if you come into my Hawaiian waters, it's Hawaiian, Hawaiian flag. Yeah. And then our people are protected. But if we're out in the international waters, it's mm. international. So the Jones Act is important to be repealed or modified to the point where we are credible. Right now, we're not credible. What I want to do, because we're already like two hours, 16 minutes. Oh, no. It's good. I really appreciate you being my first guest. But Shulan Schubert-Kwok is such a great person who has done so many things against the grain. You know, at times when men were in charge of everything and men were shitting on her. So my view was she has to be the first guest on because she's my favorite person. And we have so much to talk about. I'm willing to keep going. But actually, James, I applaud you for uh, your podcast because I hope that our sessions would benefit people who are afraid to speak up. Exactly. Who are afraid, who doubt their own abilities. Exactly. And I want people to feel that faith, faith in God and faith in themselves are very important. Yeah, because pe people don't realize, like, just in general, like, all we did originally was I just bought the podcast equipment. I said, I got shit to say. I know about the corruption in the unions. I know about the corruption in local politics. You know. But the problem is is that no one has a venue to speak out yep. because everyone's so afraid. But you know what? I'm not afraid. I don't care. I don't, wanna, I don't want any position that tells me I can't just speak my mind. I think, James, we don't, we don't talk shit in the sense of that no, shit you just, means... No, you just talk reality. Yeah, shit means falsehood. You and I are not here to talk about falsehood or spin. Correct. I think what we're here to say is to empower people who are afraid and who feel like giving up is people to people. Yeah. And that you need to have faith that God is important to our lives and that we need to live 
by God's uh, good things that they want Shoot. us to do. But I still so, want to. I still want to bring I, Kirk I, I Caldwell believe, on. No, no, I seriously believe in God has a hand in our lives, and that we need to listen and we need to heed God's words to 100%. do right 100%. and and not succumb to corruption. Not succumb to quick gains, not succumb to protection of ourselves at the expense of others. Right. So we need to be sincere, passionate, independent, and trust in God that our lives has meaning, and our lives can inspire others. To achieve doing right by not being afraid to stand up right. and, and and say no, that's not acceptable. And that's but that's a problem. Those a lot of people nowadays won't. Yeah, but that's but why I, I want to do. We need to encourage people not to be afraid, and and to have a voice. God give us a voice, so speak up, even though. Speak up may cost us our job. Yeah. And speak up may cost us our lives. Isn't that even. scary though? Like that's it. That's why a lot of people don't speak up. No. Dude, I'm a union steward yeah. at my workplace and a lot of people won't say shit because they're so no. afraid of losing I, their job. I, I, I'm I like, am, bro, you're not going to lose your job. My life Are you is, kidding me? My life is in the hand of God. And I work for as a God's servant to people who needs a voice. Who needs to speak up, and I represent them because they are so hurt and they are so underrepresented. All right, so wait. So what we're we gonna do? Just to close it out, because Shulan, thank you so much. You're my first guest because you're my favorite person because you have helped me get involved in local politics, the local scene. My network grew because of you. So. No, I just want you to learn truth. Truth. So what I want to know yeah. is, what do you have planned? You're you were just reelected to the neighborhood board. <laughs> That's a funny one, yeah. Which is a whole another conversation. Yes. We can do that one. Too. I actually wanted to retire at seventy, which was my hope and my dream. But with this new administration, I think I need to help them. And you're I'm talking about s- Mayor Blangiardi. Yes, and I need to help them. I think. I think people want something really, truly new. Different and someone yeah. real. Like, bro. Like, and, and I think they also wanted somebody uh, that well, I'll admit, would I not... Do, would I do not, like Rick. Would, I, not, would not be a career politician. Well, when I first heard that Rick was talking about we might go to Tier 3, I was yeah. pissed. Yeah. But then when he explained that the governor has to sign off on moving to tier, th- I I said okay, okay, okay. But I really think that uh, people want to follow rules, even. Uh, but do you think Josh Green would be a better governor? One of the things that impressed me about Josh Green is that he's a man of action, he and is. that he yes. has proven yeah. in yeah. so many, many, many times yeah. that he went out. And then I was so sad that the governor banned him. From all of the COVID, uh, yeah, the governor because he was <laughs> yeah, jealous. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's a doctor. But Ige isn't running for nothing after. No, here. no, no. And then uh, he's doing good work, and all of a sudden he's banned. 
And to me, I, I, I well, never then, understood that. To close it out, I really appreciate your input and everything you've been saying. You've been a great first guest. And like I said, like the reason I wanted you to be the first guest is because you're the reason that I got so involved in politics. So I appreciate you being my first guest. If I take off and become famous, thank you so much. Shulan, what do you got going on in your life? You were just elected to the neighborhood board. What do you need for the Chinatown Business and Community Association? What do you need from people? We continue to serve. Serve. We continue to serve our people in downtown Chinatown. And we continue to work with city government and our other stakeholders to help make Chinatown a better place for everyone. 100%, 100%. And I want to thank everyone that tuned in tonight. And it was my first podcast with my first guest. And she's very important to me. But we have a lot of important topics to talk about within not even Hawaii, but just nationally. But if you're interested, uh, continue staying tuned in and then we got you. So thank you.